Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Shaver, joined by Michael Bruns, Brian Christopherson. Two weeks in the book. Nebraska, one and one, two wildly different games. Well, uh, you know, unless there's some, like, really important banner, we can just jump right into it. Um, I guess, gentlemen, is there anything you want to get to before we start tearing down this Fordham game and then building back up the, the contest against Buffalo? I don't feel like I have any strong banter. Brunts might. Um, yeah. Do you have anything, Brunts? I, I actually don't. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I don't have anything for you. Well, there we go. None of our teams look like they're going to make the baseball playoffs, so there's that. Here's here's one for you. Do you I, I, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but coming off of this, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of discussion this week about 9-11, and rightfully so, uh, with the 20-year anniversary. But they were the, – the BTN documentary about the, the tunnel walk – did you guys have a favorite tunnel walk? Not not like game, but like the motif that they did for the season. Because it was like there was always a theme, you know, especially back in the day when they kind of did kind of like the cartoony stuff. Did you guys have a favorite one? The one I remember the most had the parachuting where they landed uh, off <laughs> of the stadium or whatever. Like that was 2007, I'm pretty sure. But – and then the reason that that would be the one I remember the most is prior to that, I didn't get to enough games to really know. Mm. Um, is, are there like, have you gone, you're, you're a rabbit hole guy, Brunt. So I, I've gone lot, back. Are a lot of these on YouTube? That most, I think most, if not all of them are. And the, the two that come to mind that I, I always, that always make me laugh. There's the one where I'm not sure what year it was. And it actually might've been around the 2001 season, but like, you're, you're in like a plane going over like parts of Nebraska. And then somehow it, the, like you end up up by the sower on top of the state Capitol. And there's like this awkward glitch where then like the sower starts kind of raising the roof like this. Yeah. You, you remember that one? Mm-hmm. I, I appreciated that one. And I also liked the, uh, the Bill Callahan blueprints of champions or blueprints of championships where they would have a former player come in and film like uh, they would hit like the, the logo of the team with the sledgehammer. I definitely remember the raise the roof one. I do remember also that they had the sewer would do the uh, like the Heisman pose. You remember that? Was that was that Crouch era? Uh, it it, it might have been. Um, I don't think I'm making that up. Um, I the one Schaefer brought up is a personal fave. Be, when the guys are jumping from planes because it was a little ridiculous even at the start of the season but it was even more fun when that's airing like late October early November in a season that's, com- that's completely gone off the rails yeah. and people are like okay <laughs> that's a little much yeah, they, they should have maybe at some point just been like we got to pull this off the air we just kind of like have some standard like highlights and just just go with that um uh, they used to be a little more cruel to the team's logo, like you're saying, where they would blow it up and stuff. And I think after, actually, I think after the 9-11, some of that stuff went away. Um, I think, I also, it makes me think of other teams' ones, and there's all the infamous one with, like, the Alaska hockey team that has the polar bear. People can look it up, who gets in. In, in, a, in jet, a fighter jet. A fighter jet. Just, 
it's 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 rough. I mean, he he ends up blowing up campuses and stuff. It's a little over the top, but uh, well, Kenny, well, Danger Zone plays. Danger yeah. Zone plays in the background. People can look that one up and they'll know what we're talking about. I have never heard of the uh, the famous Alaska hockey polar bear that gets into a fighter jet and attacks campuses. It, you've got it, it delivers. I don't want to spoil it for you, but <laughs> but there's like some space flight involved with it too, from what I remember. Incredible. Yeah, you've got a four or five minute uh, treat coming your way this afternoon, I would say, if you've never seen it. I'm trying to think if there was a specific game where I was like, oh, they did something different here. I, I want to like that Miami game in 2014. I think they had like a bunch of highlights of, of Miami, Nebraska in the past. And, and I think that that one was was pretty solid, if I remember correctly. I mean, part of it, Nebraska just hasn't had enough games that really matter at home um in the last decade i mean if you were to sit and make a list you really you know you're gonna have to start including like the michigan state 2011 game and stuff like that where it's like yeah they beat a they beat a solid michigan state team that year or something i mean there just hasn't been that many good home games and so sort of the atmosphere kind of plays off of that sometimes too with the tunnel walk i thought it was cool the first year uh, they had Keith Jackson pop up for a voiceover uh, where, where would you rather be Lincoln, Nebraska, you know? Um, and then there was one, I don't know that this was a tunnel walk. It might've just been a spring game thing or something. And it seems like it was during the bow era where John Facenda, who had the famous voice from like NFL films did a, they, they used his voice for something. And, and then I think they played get back to where you once belong is sort of a song. It, it, it wasn't a season tunnel walk, but I remember that one. And uh, I also remember the year, the off season where Mikey Bowe was a big topic. Remember Mikey Bowe, the rapper, and they were, he was going to be part of the serious thing. And I think he was for like one game, right? Two games. They kind of had like a mix. Am I, am I, is that correct? I, I think you're right. Um, I think it was universally hated. So <laughs> that's kind of what I remember from it. You mentioning that just immediately made me think of G Herbo and how I just have no frame of reference for anything anymore. And I didn't back then either because I didn't know who that was when they were doing the remix. So I just recall it, it was it was pretty well panned if I if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I mean, I got nothing against Mike, Mikey Bo personally if he's a listener of the pod, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't think it went over that well. If he's a listener of the pod, we would let him know that if he wants to come on the Hypecast sometime, he just has to reach out. Yeah, I'd love to hear an oral history on how that came together, actually. So that would, that would be fine. You guys were mentioning Bill Callahan, and I was kind of thinking a great story would be just to get his thoughts on where Nebraska sits now. Just how many questions he would actually answer about Nebraska football before he just walks out of the interview. I feel like Bill Callahan would have enough good sense to not weigh in on Nebraska football. <laughs> hey he's got it made he's uh, the most in-demand uh, assistant coach in the nfl yeah yep S- speaking of i don't know it's this transition yeah i tried zero <laughs> out of ten for the yeah. segment there just uh we need a straight fail horn on that all right i'll i'll pick up where you left off runs speaking of football nebraska played in a contest on saturday speaking of football <laughs> <laughs> all right so it was kind of an ugly start for nebraska but they took control in the second quarter of that game and, and largely uh managed kind of throughout what 
we'll start with you, Brian. What was kind of a takeaway you had from Nebraska's win over Fordham? Uh, the more you look at that game, the further you get from it. That it was hard to take anything away from it. I mean, that's it. I know that's not a good answer, but <laughs> that was, that's, I was really discouraged the first like 20 minutes um, of how that game was going. And I, I mean, there was a play where I muttered something under my breath to Bruns, like, man, these guys are stinking right now where they, they gave up like a 30 yard run in the second quarter. And to their credit, they got it together. They found their footing on defense and really made it the game. It was supposed to be. I'm still a little um, skeptical of the O-line uh, which I was really disappointed in week one. And it's hard to say that about a group when they have, you know, 630 yards of offense as Nebraska did and ran for 320 or whatever. But I, I felt like it was a little harder than it needed to be early on in that game. And I think if you listen to Scott Frost post game, you heard the same thing from him where he was talking about, you know, some of these two yard runs need to be six yard runs. Some of these six yard runs need to be 11 yard runs. So I think he was seeing stuff where he, he felt like they were uh, pulling teeth a little bit more than, than they'd want running it. I went yeah, back. Girls. Oh, go ahead. So I, the, I want to hit on BC's point. I, I left feeling skeptical about the offensive line too. And then I kind of went back and watched the game again um, today, actually. And it seemed like there were, there were holes there at times. Mm-hmm especially as that game wore on where either the, 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 the run went to the wrong hole, the, the read wasn't right or didn't make somebody miss in the hole. I mean, I, especially to the right side, I felt like they were getting more done on that side, um, you know, on, on Saturday. So I agree. I mean, the offensive line is still very much a work in progress and I'm not so sure that, their best five, they know who that is yet. And at the same time, I think there were also opportunities for bigger plays in that game that for whatever reason didn't materialize um, that that needs to start happening because there were opportunities for 10, 15 yard runs that only went for three or four. I'm glad you balanced out my point because that's, that's true. And also the pass pro was a lot better. Now, I mean, the, 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 opposition is Fordham and you know you, you should be able to hold hold your own but there were some long developing pass plays where Toure got open uh and you got to credit the O-line for giving Adrian a clean pocket and and it really made it easy on him we should almost have a segment where like three days after the game or two days you you watch it once or twice and then come back with revised takes because that's sometimes what happens like I kind of thought this when I watched it, but I, I thought it more after listening to guys like the Martinez miss throw quote unquote to Wyatt Lever on that first or second series of the game. Um, you know, Matt Lubick himself said, yeah, Lever probably slowed up his run a little bit on that. And that was a pretty good ball, you know? So that's one where on social media, Adrian's taking a lot of heat, you know, oh, typical, typical. And, you know, maybe it was, it should have been a 50 some yard touchdown if your receiver doesn't break his stride on it. I, I think there is something to be said that like not to not to delve into this too much, but like we you gotta let the game get deeper into it than the first two series before, yeah. you know, you really get too upset or too bent out of shape with things. I mean, 
Adrian played one of his better games. If you yeah. look at statistically, if you look at how he played, you look at the throws. I mean, he played really well on Saturday, as he should. I mean, it was a Fordham team, and and he was able to take advantage of things. And it's a long game. I, I'm very guilty of this as much as anyone. Um, but sometimes, like, it's it's worth remembering that they have to play, you know, a whole other half, or in some cases, three more quarters. Nebraska really didn't look good until about midway through the second quarter. And then once they started to look good, they looked great. I mean, they, they took control of that game and Fordham wasn't going to do anything with it. You had that drive in the third quarter when they got the ball back after the Deontay Williams interception. And this is the kind of drive I was looking for more of out of that game than probably what happened, but they were still able to put up yards and points. They just gave it a marquee step seven times. I mean, he had a 19 yard run to start things off. And then he uh, he had six more carries and it finished with kind of an awkward collision between him and, and Adrian at the goal line and he needed a breather. And then I think it was uh, either the Chancellor Brewington touchdown happened after that or, or whatever to, to put Nebraska up. But um, I, I just feel like the way the game started, everyone was so quick to be like, oh, Nebraska's just not – I don't know about this team. They don't have it. They're not up 88 to nothing here in the first quarter against Fordham. Like, I, I do think that, you know, by the end of it, people sort of were able to take away, oh, yeah, I mean, they clearly distanced themselves. It just took a little longer than you might have anticipated. So uh, what that actually means, I don't know. But I, I'm guilty of this, too, because I often think that Nebraska starts slow. And I, I think that's part of where some of this apprehension from people come from, because if you look at the first two weeks of this season and a lot of last season, other than that Ohio State drive where they went down and scored right away, they just don't really seem to move the ball on those first couple possessions anymore. I mean, they, they did against Northwestern, they did against Ohio state. And then after that, it was like pulling teeth to, to get them to go anywhere. Um, I don't know why that is, but it, it seemed like they found it against Fordham on Saturday as the game went along, which is good. It's what you want. I think we've had two pulling teeth references so far in this pod. Um, I used one and, and you've used one. Um, so we're, uh, if we hit quote. Yeah, that's that, that that's that's probably our quote. Your point is really good, though. There is a narrative that gets set right on social media, like early in a Husker game, and sometimes people have trouble breaking outside of that box. I think there's a reason for it, though, in the sense that they've watched enough recent Nebraska football to worry that this team is fragile. Like, and if yep, like. Like if they get behind, what's that? Gonna, what's that going to do to this team? Where basically a tie game sometimes feels like a deficit. Mm-hmm. A seven-point deficit feels like this huge hill when it's maybe not that huge of a hill. And it's it. So that's what's always on this fan base's mind as they're watching this. And they're so they're sitting there watching this game against Fordham. They're like, let's get some distance here. Let's let's not have this be one of these days where we're, you know, biting our fingernails against the FCS team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think Nebraska, I mean, in some ways kind of has to earn that, that trust. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's, you know, the, the possession that I thought kind of changed things in that game was, you know, it, it's what, 10 to seven Fordham's in field goal range. Dismuke breaks through and blocks the field goal. And I, I really thought that from that possession on, and I, you know, the offense was on the attack after that quick change. And that was when they kind of seized control of things. You, you had Martinez hit Toure a couple times on that drive to kind of get the ball rolling a little bit. And I, I think that was 
you know, I, I don't know what you really take from this game aside, you know, n- almost 90 guys played, which I think is a positive, but, you know, maybe just kind of having that moment of, okay, the game's there, um, you know, t- at that point you can either kind of settle in for a f- three or four quarter game where you can go in and, and, and really kind of, you know, make, make it w- what it should be uh, in a lopsided win. And they went out and did that to their credit. So, um, Will that help them against Buffalo? I don't know, but I, I think you have to get a little bit. You you have to feel good about the fact that Nebraska went in and basically did what it was supposed to. Yeah, uh, for sure. I asked this Brunt's question on on a radio show earlier this week, and and BC, I'll, we'll start with you, and then Brunt can jump back in it too. And I, I threw it on the message board too. Who has stood out for you through two weeks? Give me a player that stood out in a good way and a player that stood out the bad way. And, and if possible, a specific player as opposed to just a position. Um, I, I don't want to say necessarily in a bad way, but uh, Cam Taylor Britt is, he's one of the best players on this team. And, uh, you know, obviously there's been the, the two punt returns. I felt like he had sort of an uneven game, even as a corner against Illinois um, in, in that one. I thought the defensive backs as a whole made it a little too easy for the Illinois when they're throwing it around with a backup QB. Um, I, th- I think he's got some great football ahead of him, but uh, he's the type of guy where uh, Nebraska needs him like this week, for example, to be that guy who makes that game-changing play that we know he's capable of. And uh, I'm not saying he's in a funk or anything like that. He's had a couple bad plays that were really noticeable, and, uh, and that's sort of where it ends. But he's got to be that guy who uh, sort of turns a switch and becomes the game-changer now as opposed to a talking point for another reason. So uh, I, and I, I bring him up because we all know what – type of talent he has I think he does have one of the some of the best talent of the DBs in this conference and so it's now up to him to to, to prove that uh, somebody who's been really good so far um, Damian Daniels I mean in first game Tuioti cited him as playing maybe the best game of his Husker career and I think he's he's been what you're you hope he would be. He's, you know, he's, he's just a different player than he was earlier in his career. And that's great to see. Brunch, you want to, you want to bring your answers back? Yeah. I'll get a little bit more specific than I did on your radio show. I mean, I, I think you the I picked up on the shade that I threw at you there. Yeah. I, I heard you, I heard after I got off that, that you accused me of listing seven guys. I think I only listed six, but <laughs> I mean, I, I think Ethan Piper and Trenter Corcoran are two guys that I, I, I was a little surprised have not acquitted themselves a little more um, through, through the first couple of games. Obviously, Corcoran not being in for most of fall camp didn't help matters there from just his own kind of ability, uh, but also, you know, just continuity with playing next to Piper. I, I think the the right side of the line just anecdotally seems to have been a little bit more solid than the left side. Uh, to this point. And, you know, that, that side of the line, I mean, I, I think that's where I think they're probably still looking a little bit about, you know, if they have their best five out there, uh, I think that's kind of an ongoing question. So uh, we'll, we'll see if that gets better, or what that, that picture kind of looks like going forward. But I, I think, I think I was just a little bit surprised that they haven't 
especially against Illinois and, and kind of seeing what, what uh, Texas San Antonio was able to do against Illinois in the run game. I was a little surprised that they weren't a little bit more forceful up front. Uh, guys that have impressed me, you know, th- there was a body of work that you kind of knew that Samori Touré was going to come in and, and be at least serviceable based on what he did at the FCS level. But I, I've been really impressed with his ability as a route runner. Obviously, I think Adrian trusts him based on how much they're going to him. They're, they're finding new ways within the playbook with the option look to get him the ball. So I, I think he's, he's been more, even more impressive than maybe what I thought he was going to be. And I, I do kind of wonder too, if, if the issues persist at, at the punt return spot, if he doesn't maybe get a look there too. That's interesting. You mentioned something with the offensive line, and I'll, I'll throw my name out here in a bit, but this I think leads to a potentially decent discussion, which is sort of the whole point of the podcast. Um, do you think we undervalued Brandon Hymas and his consistency at the left tackle spot or overestimated how quickly Turner Corquin would be able to move into what is among the most important spots on a roster with, with kind of having to protect that blind side? Because I, I think when I look back at sort of my expectation of this team, I kind of just penciled Corcoran in there that he would be at a level that took years for Hymas to get to. I think people undervalue what like two, two years or so of experience in the big 10 means sometimes. And it's, it, it, there's too much of a video game mentality where all oh, this guy's out, plug this guy in and it, it just goes, you know, where it was and it's going to be the same thing. And I, I'll say that I, I would, love what I think Turner Corcoran's going to be, but I was quick to remind throughout the off season, he's only started one game and this he's playing one of the toughest positions in sports. There are going to be some Saturdays this fall where it doesn't go exactly as planned. That's, I mean, you just almost have to account for that for a guy who's that young and Ethan Piper's a little bit older, but you've got two relatively young guys on one side that you're, you're calling on to, to, you know, be dominators right off the bat for you. And, and that's not easy. So, um, I mean, this will be a big test for them on Saturday against Buffalo. Cause I think Buffalo's got some guys that can get after the passer. And, uh, you know, we've seen games like this in the past. I can remember Nebraska's game against Northern Illinois a few years ago. Was that Sutton Smith, the name of the guy who like, made, a, yeah, made a living off that game? I mean, you got to be careful that, there's, there's guys from teams like Buffalo that see this as an opportunity to go in and put like seven or eight or nine plays on film that get played over and over again and, and, and do something for their career. you got to remember that. So this is, this is a big test for those young guys to, to um, establish themselves because this is, is going to be a different animal than Fordham. I think this is going to be a scrap on Saturday. I think what you're describing is essentially when uh... – the NFL draft weekend rolls around and the guy had played against <laughs> Nebraska, the Huskers appear a lot in those highlights. We've seen it. <laughs> I, I, th- I think that Turner Corcoran was a little bit of a victim of circumstance in some ways. Cause if you go back to that Rutgers game, Brendan Hymas sits it out. What what's different in that offensive line? Well, you've got Corcoran standing in there for Hymas. Nebraska goes out and just absolutely runs the ball all over Rutgers. And, I mean, I, maybe I'm guilty of this, but you've got a guy that was a top 100 recruit, 
who is well thought of by the coaching staff, who had a pretty solid debut uh, in that game against a Rutgers team that was they, – they were plucky, I think is the best way to put it. Um, and Brian's right, where you kind of – you have to kind of take a step back and say, okay, well, he started one game. He's played in, you know, two or three, and he didn't have the benefit of a fall camp to kind of ramp up to the season. So I, I can see where – having somebody like Hymas, who's a multi-year starter, there's going to be some hiccups there. He's going to be really good. I don't even doubt that. It's just, uh, I mean, that camp thing, we can't undersell that. He was right. out. For, he was basically out for most of camp. So I don't even know that we've seen him at full, you know, his full go yet. So that, I mean, that's part of what we're talking about here. So I don't want to knock somebody who's going to be a very good player for this team. I'm just saying, there's going to be those growing pains. Bryce Benhart had him last year. Um, he had a game against Minnesota that was rough on film that, that I always remember. And I think he's played a lot better so far. Yeah. Um, I think he's been a bright spot. So uh, if we're talking about bright spots. Yeah. Uh, real quickly, I'll give, give my two, um, you know, the, for me, I, for as much as we've heard of him, for as much as he had had impressed in the spring and then certainly won the job in the fall, I, I don't know, and Brunts will be able to speak to this because he just recently rewatched the game. I don't know with Gabe Irvin if it's he's missing holes, if he doesn't have enough patience for stuff to develop, but just a lot of like two or one yard runs in there. And I just, other than that one 10 yard run he had against, uh, he had against Illinois off the one yard line. It just, there hasn't been a whole lot that displays burst uh, from him so far. And the running game just looked a lot better with Marquis Stepp, who would be someone I think, you know, he's, he's factored in, in the Fordham game for sure. He had a big catch in the Illinois game. He has to be better in pass protection. I mean, that was a big moment in the, the Illinois game as well. But I just think that through two weeks, it'd be really hard for me to imagine Nebraska comes into this game against Buffalo on Saturday and Marquis Step isn't going to get the lion's share of the carries. I think that, you know, through two weeks they went with Gabe Irvin, and and now at this point, like I, I just think that what they've been able to accomplish on offense, it works better with Marquis Step maybe as your primary back. Am I overreacting for two weeks so far? Is he a victim because he's the starting running back of those slow starts? Could be, and, and that's what I. That's why I kind of wanted you to to potentially weigh in. I mean, you you watched over at least a couple of those drives. I mean, was it, was it poor offensive line play? Was he missing holes? I mean, cause of the indication I seem to get is that he, uh, that sometimes things haven't been blocked up the way they should, but other times like he just hasn't, he's just kind of plunged right into the back of his own line. Yeah. And I don't, that's a good question. And it's probably not a cut and dry answer. I mean, I, I, I would imagine that, as a freshman who's only played two games, there's probably a little bit of that, I mean, nerves or, you know, missing holes or, you know, not cutting back in the proper place. I also don't know, you know, with, with the offensive line, if it's necessarily looked great from the get-go because the first couple um, series of the first two games have been pretty rough for, for getting any kind of movement up front. All right. Any uh, any other thoughts on this, or we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break here, and then we'll come back and hit on some basketball schedules, some baseball news, and get out.
Any other things you want to throw out before the hype cast? I want to save, I want to save some things in my pocket for that hype cast. He's got a heavy pocket, Brunts. I'm good. Let's break. All right. We'll be back. Switching sports when we return. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. I mentioned we were going to switch sports. Basketball schedule came out today. It feels like the conference... Uh, the conference slate for Nebraska is going to be a bit of a chore. Uh, they, they drew, what, 13 or 14 games against teams that went to the NCAA tournament. Uh, mm. Double matchups with several very good programs. A pretty tough month of December with the two games that get dropped in there. And then it doesn't lighten a whole hell of a lot up in January. This is uh, Fred Hoiberg's group, which I think we all anticipate is going to be better than the last two years. They got, uh, they got a pretty tough hand here that they were dealt. Yeah, I mean, right off the bat in conference play, when you – I mean, their first, their first game is at Indiana. Uh, then they get Michigan at home. And those are the games that are thrown in early December before the conference really gets into the full swing. So there's this stretch from December 1st to December 11th that's now pretty interesting where I think we act – they'll be sort of – I mean, Creighton is in November, so that'll be a big deal. 
But around that, there's a bunch of games where Nebraska should sort of be able to develop an idea of who they are, but we won't really know for sure as far as rotation and like who can really, who can really perform consistently uh, when the competition ramps up. And then December 1st, they go at NC State, Indiana, Michigan, Auburn, Bruce Pearl's team in an 11 day stretch. That's where I feel like we'll really start to dig in on, okay, how is this rotation setting up? Um, how does this talent stack up that has looks good on paper, but can it actually, you know, translate to the court? That, that stretch when the big 10 went to the two kind of pre pre winter break conference games, that's always been kind of interesting for Nebraska. And they've actually, I would need to go back and look, but it feels like in those two games, they've always played somewhat decent basketball at that point. When, when they've, they've split had, most of them. Like, I don't know that they've been swept a whole lot in that, yeah. in that run. I mean, it, it is going to be – that stretch of games will be interesting. It will be a very, very, very good measuring stick for what they have. Um, you know, I, I think – I hesitate this year to make too many grand pronouncements about Nebraska because you you have so many new pieces once again. But you also have – you've also had a full off season of actual practice together and guys, like, getting to know one another and, and how, you know, what – how guys play and where they're good and where they're not. And I don't know. I mean, I, I was kind of one of those people when, when I saw that Creighton was part of the Gavit games and they were going to play it in November. I was like, Oh, that's no fun. But I mean, now you, you probably want that game early on because you wouldn't want it in that uh, murderers row stretch there. There's a lot of stuff. If you look at the schedule, it's all PBA for like the first I mean, seven games officially, but with, if you count the exhibitions, which include Colorado, you know, nine games really. And yes, Creighton's in there and that'll be a big deal. But to sort of, I guess, work out the kinks in your own backyard, you know, and figure out um, in the own comfort of your own gym, sort of what you have. So that's where the December part becomes interesting, not just by the competition you face, but it's also the first time you're taking it away from PBA. You know, you see how they respond on the road. You see how they play in a neutral site game against an Auburn team. Um, but yeah, the, I'm looking here, the teams they play twice in the big 10 are Ohio state, Indiana, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin, and then Northwestern and Rutgers. So, I mean, it's always going to be a tough draw in that league, but uh, I would say Nebraska's double down games. Um, they've got to stack up pretty high on the difficulty meter with a lot of teams, I would think. Do you guys feel like you have a good, I know Brunt says he doesn't want to make a, a lot of predictions. Do you, <laughs> you have a good um, feel for like who you think the, the primary key pieces for this thing are going to be? Um, what, say that again. I didn't hear it. My thing cut out a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, I stumbled through the question. So basically what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, do you, you kind of have a feel like, do we know who the, the most important five or six guys are at this point? Or is there still a lot to kind of sort of be settled in that regard in your mind? I think they're going to have to settle that a little bit because I, I mean, everybody's going to name off some guys that, that you know, they're, the McGowan's brothers and, you know, Lat Mayan and stuff like that. Um, 
but I think there's some really interesting sort of new additions to like Alonzo Verge. I mean, every time they show a little highlight of what's going on over there, he pops up and you kind of like how he distributes the ball and he was a scorer at his previous stop. And, uh, you know, I know Bryden box, a young guy they really like. And, you know, so I, there's, there's sort of, obviously Eduardo Andre has put on weight and like, where's his game at now? So I think you could name off, you know, nine or 10 guys who are pretty interesting where it's like, okay, how does this whittle down into who are actually like the top seven of of those like 10 guys? And I, I, so I, I think that's one of those deals. You could take it like football where you're going to have to play some games just like you did at running back and figure out what you actually have when the scoreboard's on and who can really perform, you know, within the, within the offense that Fred Hoiberg wants to run. I feel like I feel like there's a pretty good sense of like who the top five or six guys are. Like I, I think some there's some combo of, of guys that that you know are going to be starters and, and playing a lot of minutes. I'm I'm fascinated by guys who are going to be kind of like seven through ten, and like if it feels like there's guys that have more narrow roles that are going to be in there for 15 minutes. And can they give you 15 good managers or come in and, and do whatever their specialty is? Like, can Tominaga come in and hit a couple three-pointers for you off the bench? Can Eduardo Andre come in and make a couple nice passes, play defense and rebound off the bench? Um, you know, guys like uh, Keon Edwards, I mean, is, is, can he come in and, and give you some minutes off the bench? That that to me was where they were really kind of deficient last year was you didn't have enough guys that once you got past that, that five or six group who could really come in and, you know, compete with the Indianas, the Michigans, those types of teams. So that, how, how that kind of breaks up and the minutes and the roles I think are going to be interesting to watch. All right, let's uh, let's jump over to baseball real quickly. Bruins, they are uh, practicing. They have a couple scrimmages, I guess. Is that what we call them? There are uh, 14 inning exhibitions each against. So they're they're scheduled for 14. How innings. did they decide on 14 innings? Uh, I don't know. Okay, I, I don't know if they they play seven, then they break for lunch and come back for the other oh. seven. If it's like if it's like cricket, I don't know. Okay, that's interesting, but. You got to find out what's going to be served for lunch. It's uh, probably cucumber sandwiches and tea. I think that's what you get. Um, yeah, they they've got Creighton and Wichita State, and then the uh, the red white series. They they opened practice yesterday in Lincoln with eighteen new guys of the forty one guys on the roster. So everybody's wearing name tags and hello, my name is, and. It's going to be a fascinating fall for this team because you had a group that was so good last year. Now you're replacing at least two of your three starters on the weekend, your entire outfield. You need a closer. You have a lot more innings that have to be accounted for now that the schedule is going to be back to normal. So they're, they're going to schedule or scrimmage three times a week uh, for the next month and a half and try and figure out who can play and who can't. And we'll, we'll kind of see where – things break out, but um, I think a lot, a lot to be settled, but also a lot of young guys and newcomers that they really like over there. 
All right. Um, do you, I mean, is there a, obviously Schwellenbach's a, a key piece to replace. Is there another critical replacement that they kind of have to find this fall or, or someone that you anticipate has to step into a different role this fall? Uh, well, I, I think they're going to try and let Jake Buns be a starter. Um, he was kind of the middle relief late, late guy out of the bullpen to set up Schwellenbach, but I think he's got a chance to potentially start. Um, I don't know. There, there's just so many guys like in, in the lineup that they, they want to see to see if they can step in because you, you lost Acker, Foster, uh, Haggy, pretty much everybody in the outfield. And uh, Chase Mason, who was a very highly touted recruit, uh, is out for most of the fall. I think he was a guy that they would like to, to potentially slot into right field. Uh, and, and I, again, I don't know where they're going to put Leighton Banj off because he was kind of in the outfield. He was playing some first base, but he's a consistent enough hitter that I think they have to find a spot for him. So it, it, it's not just one guy. I mean, that they, they really need to find some answers in the outfield. And, um, you know, Bryce Matthews moving over to shortstop will be a good thing. But uh, there's a lot of at-bats that they need to fill based on guys that they lost. I really think they're going to miss – Acker and Hallmark a ton just for what they did, not only in the lineup, but also just from a leadership point of view. All right. Uh, any other thing you want to mention on baseball here before we depart? Uh, not really. It was fun. It was kind of fun seeing Rob Childress around again. You know, he's not, uh, he's limited in what he can do with his role, but I don't get the impression that he's just around pushing paper either. I mean, he's a good guy to have around the clubhouse talking to guys. He can't do anything with, you know, pitching motions or anything like that, but just from a he's he's a good mentality guy and you always need those guys around. Are you, are you saying that Nebraska needs to be pretty careful that he's an analyst and you don't want any improprieties of coaching going on here? I, I think that would probably be a wise move. And I also I also know that Nebraska baseball has always been very careful about uh, the, the way that they employ various off-the-field people in baseball. Speaking of Nebraska baseball, Jake Myers just made a hell of a catch in center field for the Astros. But anyways. Jake Myers, a far better major league player than I ever might have guessed. Yes. Yes. All right, that is it for us. We will be back with a Husker Hype cast with a special guest later this week. And, of course, you can check out everything going up to the Buffalo game at Husker 24-7 and plenty of coverage after the game as well. Big game for Nebraska as they try to get on the right side of the ledger and back above 500. We will see if they can do it. Stick around for the Husker Hype cast later this week. We'll catch you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 